0: This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling. You can watch the Euro 2024 qualifiers over the next 10 days on Sling, including Norway against Scotland on Saturday with Erling Haaland, uh, France against Greece on Monday, as well as Iceland against Portugal on Tuesday, and much more, all of them available through Sling. My name is Christopher Harris, and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm joined today by my guest co-host Kyle Fansler. Hey, Kyle, how you doing? Chris, pleasure to be
1: back on here with you. How you doing yourself?
0: I'm doing good. A little bit tired after Thursday night's uh, late game for on the East Coast, at least, and, and all of the shenanigans that happened uh, during and after. It, In some ways, we're going to get to definitely talking about the Berhalter news uh, for sure, as well as the U.S. men's national team uh, game, the win against uh, Mexico. But it was a bit of a surreal match, though, the first half, because we're watching the game right before the game started. uh, There was the news that Jesse Marsh uh, basically was not going to be the U.S. men's national team coach. uh, And that came out through his agent. So that came out during the first half of the game. And by about minute 10 or 15 in the game, then the news broke that uh, Greg Berhalter appears will be the next U.S. men's national team coach. And in some ways, it's strange, though, because we we're watching the game and and we're on social media at the same time. And it felt like it was almost that was more important than the actual game itself. Uh how did you experience it, Kartik? Oh, Kartik, Kyle, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is okay. I think you're you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, you you can look no farther than CBS's coverage of the like the halftime report of the game, rather than talking about Christian Pulisic's goal or any of the drama, the yellow cards, whatever you want to call it, what happened in the first half. Their coverage at halftime focused on Greg Berhalter and his, you know, reported appointment to return as the the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. And I think that was bigger than the game. And I don't want to take away from the Nations League because I've enjoyed it. I, you know, qualifying is what it is. I enjoyed it in 2021 as well. I thought that also produced a good game against Mexico. But this is the bigger story with this news coming out about Greg Berhalter. So when it was coming out, I mean, you and I were just talking about before the podcast, you know, that was a late, late start for us. It was about 10, 20, 10, 30 for us here on the East Coast. And I'm that's, you know, it's late. But as soon as that news comes out, it's just like, ooh, I got to wake up, got to get active for to see what the reaction is on social media. Because, you know, that Greg Burhalter is such a polarizing figure among U.S. men's national team fans. And I think, you know, just looking at. People's reactions are saying, oh, Greg Berthalter has no place being the U.S. men's national team coach. People are saying, hey, you know, he did okay, got them out of the group at the World Cup. It was just, it was a fiasco, one that I enjoyed. Um, you know, I won't comment right now on what I think is the correct appointment for the U.S. men's national team, but just as a soccer fan, as an American, I really. Found it entertaining the uh, the reaction on social media and just the whole appointment of Bert, or report of the appointment of Berhalter.
0: Yeah, it was uh, the timing was very surreal, right? Because it's happening as the game's being played. Uh, it it seemed that uh, the co-commentator and commentator, so it was what uh, uh, Drake Coddaro and um, uh, Marissa Adu- Moadu, uh, calling mm-hmm. the game but in the first half as they're calling the game it appears that they haven't been told the news or they're not checking their phones or you mean the producer's not really telling them something in, in their ear because they were talking about like you mean bj callahan how great a job he's doing in setting up this team getting them ready and what do you think about the pressure on him and things like that i'm like wait a second uh you mean outside of this game the whole world is changing um yeah, and you're right too, right? The halftime show was, I uh, mean, basically 10 minutes at least talking about um, the the new appointment. And then Kate kind of mentioning like, oh, by the way, we should talk about the game, right? Um, so let's talk about the game, Kyle. Um, what's your thoughts about the game itself and, and uh, any standout players? What was your overall feeling in terms of ha- having watched this US performance?
1: Yeah, for my my understanding of watching that game, I had kind of two major takeaways. I think the one that was bigger for me was that Mexico just looked awful, awful all over the place. They couldn't, they couldn't. I mean, there was I saw one clip on Twitter of. Uh, of a player just not being able to control a pass. And I think that was kind of a microcosm of what Mexico was doing the entire time. And from then on, the events that transpired, particularly in the second half, we saw four red cards, the homophobic chance. I just thought it was just an awful, awful night for Mexico. When you talk about all the changes that within that federation, you talk about the pressure that's on their head coach. It was just a terrible, terrible look. And I think that kind of maybe kind of extends on to CONCACAF as a whole because Mexico is, with the United States and now Canada, one of the biggest teams in the region. And then you look back to the 2022 World Cup, failed to get out of the group for the first time since, I don't know, it's got to be six or seven World Cups now. It's just that was my biggest takeaway. When you're talking about standout players, I think it was one person that really stood out to me, particularly based on his lack of club form was Serginho Dest. I thought his play down the right-hand side was, you know, awesome. Uh, I think he had the, the primary assist on uh, Ricardo Pepe's goal, uh, played a big role in Pulisic's second, or played that interplay with Tim Wea down the right side. I thought Serginho Dest really stood out to me. And you got to think, where was this with Milan? Because he didn't play, he hasn't played with Milan since, I think they said, March, maybe April. Uh, I think they said he has two U.S. men's national team appearances since his last club appearance. And I think if he plays like that at club level, I, there's no reason he shouldn't be playing in Europe. Maybe not on the side like Milan, which is in the Champions League semifinals, but definitely at a squad in Europe. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Be, I think he could play for Milan, honestly. Um, I thought it was unfortunate that he got a red card, and that'll be a huge, huge miss for the men's national team in uh, the final against Canada on Sunday. Uh, say what you will about how uh, valid that red card was. You could say he was defending himself. Put it, he did put his hands on the Mexican player's face. And uh, I, I think another person that stood out for to me was obviously Christian Pulisic. Two goals. Um, he, I thought he was an emotional leader as well. You could see him talking to the Mexico players when things started to get really chippy. BJ Callahan definitely made the right decision to pull Pulisic off the field. Uh, because, you know, you don't want to lose a player like that. Uh, same goes with a full-arm Balogun making his debut. I thought, uh, but, uh, you know, Pulisic was obviously the, the player of the game with his two goals.
0: Yeah, I think it, in many ways this team looked like a team reborn. It was, you could tell in terms of from minute, basically as soon as the the, the whistle started in this game, you could tell that the U.S. team was you know, fired up, pumped up, aggressive, ready to go, and... and Boy, did they do it! Um, I mean, you look at this squad too, and you look at, uh, I mean, the performances from these players. A lot of them are putting themselves in the shop window. So, from a personal side of things, yes, they definitely want to go and uh, beat Mexico. uh, I mean, of all teams, right? Beat Mexico, their closest rival, and and go ahead and and win the uh, Concacaf Nations League. So, and they're playing at home in front of a mostly Mexican crowd. But so. But you look at the players that are looking at uh, put themselves in the shop window. Pulisic, right? He wants to go on, probably go on to play in Italy this summer. So there's a few clubs interested in him. West McKinney, same thing. There's been rumors about several clubs in Europe uh, that might pick him up because Juventus uh, said that they're not planning on keeping him. Sergio so Dest uh Balogun, right um there's probably a couple of other players too um that are in this squads that are playing but a lot of you know scouts uh, you know, or you mean know, other teams are watching these players and okay how do they perform at that level and and the performance is great I, I can't fault anything in terms of the way that this u.s team played um from back to front We're, practically flawless i mean i think a couple of chances Pulisic could have scored probably one or two more goals but uh, a great performance but how bad is mexico this has got i I, honestly I, i cannot remember seeing a mexican team as bad as this i mean i mean not fired up at all it seemed um playing really poorly creating very few chances matt turner didn't have many saves to make um what a, what a awful awful performance this by mexico uh but but yeah full credit to us in terms of uh I mean emphatic win really it could have been five 0 and that probably would have been a fair score line
1: yeah um yeah, I just thinking I'm trying to think did Matt Turner actually make a save that I can remember I think the only thing he did was make a couple passes, take a couple goal kicks. There
0: was that one that was kind of, a, I think it was like a header in the second half and he had to dive uh, uh, near the post and kind of.
1: Oh, that's, that's, that's yeah. correct. That is correct. That yeah. The best, yeah. The best yeah. I think, I think the thing was in the second half, my mind was kind of taken up by the Burr halter news. Then you get into the, the four red cards, the the homophobic chance. It was that second half was that second half was a mess. But Chris, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it was a, that was a clinical performance from the U S game that they, you know, I guess you could say they had to have a lot of, like, a lot, like you say, a lot of people trying to, you know, put themselves out there. I already mentioned Pulisic and Serginho Des, they both had, they both had great games. Um, I think Chris Richards too, was it his best game? No, but he was winning a lot of aerial duels and he's, you know, might be on the way out at uh, Crystal Palace. You know, he's a player that could be looking for more playing time in Europe. There's a lot of players like that in the U.S. men's national team. And I think these two games, well, now two games against Mexico and Canada, two other better teams in the CONCACAF region. I just think that's a a great opportunity for them. I would like to see, and I know this is harsh because it was his first game, I'd like to see a little more out of uh, Balogun. Um, I think that was just because I had the highest of expectations for him. I expected him to come in and score hat-tricks every game. Probably not the best look for a, a new striker coming into a fairly new system, but, You know, first game, you know, you're going to you're playing in a derby against Mexico emotions running high on both sides. That was that much was clear. So hopefully Balogun can uh, get on the score sheet. I think he would like to get on the score sheet as well against Canada, really make a a quick impact. And like you say, um, coming back on loan or coming back from loan from Rams uh, back to Arsenal, you know, he's going to be looking for either playing time. With Arsenal, or maybe a move to uh, somewhere else in Europe.
0: Yeah, he seems like the type of player that uh, does well in terms of holding up the ball, laying it off for I mean, another striker or an attacking midfielder. But I think it seems like where he would be best is those breakaways, those fast breakaways. Um, and and w- there weren't really any opportunities in that game for those, uh, other than Pulisic running down that left wing. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll see some more from him on on uh, on Sunday in the CONCACAF Nations League's final against uh, Canada. So that should be a great game. So speaking of Berhalter, I mean, I mean, this is so, such a crazy story, right? So way back when, what was it 2019, I think it was, was when he was hired as the U.S. men's national team head coach, appointed by his brother, Jay Berhalter. Um, then he goes on and, and, and does well, right? He wins, wins the Gold Cup, wins the CONCACAF uh, Nations League, beats Mexico, uh goes through several friendlies with the us in playing other opposition so-so results but goes into the world cup um and at the end of the world cup um us said okay we're going to we're going to go ahead any student said okay we're going to go ahead and uh, do an evaluation and we'll make a uh, make a decision soon uh, we're going to review kind of the last couple of years and see how it went and pros and cons but i think everyone internally knew okay yeah He's going to get appointed. He's going to get uh, his contract's going to get renewed. Then it was the whole controversy with Gio Arena, right? So then it was, okay, now we have to do an investigation to look into this. Uh, Meanwhile, U.S. soccer said, okay, we're not ruling him out as a candidate. But then six months go by, all sorts of names being mentioned in terms of uh, people interested in this job. Everyone from Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, Jesse Marsh. And many, many others that were uh, potential candidates for this position. We know that they interviewed ten people, and lo and behold, after six months of, of you mean using a uh, a search, hiring a search company uh, initially to go ahead and, and do the recruitment. But first, what they wanted to do is to hire a sporting director who would hire a uh, a general manager for the U.S. men's national team. And then that person and the two of them then would make the decision to go ahead and hire a head coach. So after spending all this time, all this money, they come back to the decision of where we are now to reappoint uh, Greg Berhalter. How how does this make any sense? (laughs) Does this make any sense?
1: I don't think it makes any sense. Um, You can have the praises for Greg Berhalter. I think that much is, is validated. I think he has the best uh, win percentage in U S men's national team coaching history. Uh, you know, you could say getting out of the group was a success, but know, yeah, that game against the Netherlands, I mean, you could have people that say that the Netherlands or the U S outplayed the Netherlands, but uh, I mean, the U S was just simply outcoached in that game. So, but I think the big issue for me was the fact that it's been six months since Greg Berhalter was, uh, you know, quote-unquote let go from this job, at least out of a contract with the, with U.S. soccer. And since that six months, you know, there's been a lot of change. You talk about Matt Crocker taking over as sporting director, this this agency coming in to help with a, a new hire. And all that leads to the same person. I mean, why couldn't we just have Greg Berhalter uh, in the past? I mean, credit to Anthony Hudson. I thought Anthony Hudson did very well when he was interim head coach. At least he acquired Fuller and Baligan. Uh, you know, in that battle with England. Just, I don't understand why we had to wait six months to make this hire if you were going to eventually settle on Greg Burhalter. Um, I understand that U.S. Uh, Soccer wanted to appoint a, a sporting director, and Matt Crocker was appointed uh, <clears throat> at the end of April. So it's been about two months that Matt Crocker's had to look at uh, hiring a new head coach. You talk about the names that they've been linked with I mean, Patrick Vieira, Terry Henry, Jesse Marsh. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho because they were also circling the rumors. I don't know how valid those were, but they were rumors. But settling on Greg Berhalter, I just don't think it's a great look for the U.S. soccer. I think it's six months wasted with this golden generation, a World Cup at home in in three years' time. There could have been more development, more at least understanding of Berhalter's system within uh, these players that you talk about, like I just said, that are the quote-unquote golden generation of U.S. soccer. I, I can't make it make sense. I'm hoping it does make sense uh, in not only this summer, but in the summers to come with the Copa America and eventually the World Cup. I know uh, Paul Tenorio, who broke the news, was talking on CBS yesterday. There's not too much uh, set in stone about how long the contract will be. Um, it would be surprising if it wasn't through the next World Cup. I think it would, I think any manager would want to have that security that they'll be the coach uh, through the World Cup at home. but. I can't make it make sense. Uh, what about you, Chris?
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things. Cause so so like at halftime of that match last night, the USA-Mexico game, uh, Charlie Davis kind of went through instead of Okay, Look, here's the reasons why Greg Berhalter hiring him makes sense. And the first thing that was mentioned was the win percentage, the best win win percentage ever uh, for the U.S. men's national team. And you, you mentioned that too, Kyle. I, I have to pick a huge bone with that though too because what is that win percentage based on? So it's based on mostly games played in CONCACAF, almost, almost the entire majority of those games played in CONCACAF. So whether it's uh Gold Cup or whether it's World Cup qualifying, etc., cetera, we have to remember that the U.S. men's national team qualified for, for the World Cup uh, on goal difference, right? I mean, it was uh, Canada came in first, Mexico came in second, uh, the U.S. and Costa Rica were tied for third and fourth. But the US had a, a better goal difference than Costa Rica, so US went through on, on uh, automatic qualification. So, you mean, in terms of that record in, in the World Cup qualifying, um, there was some there was some poor results in the qualification process. Yes, they did qualify, which was great news. Um, the, the World Cup, I, I wasn't impressed by Berhalter. I think, I think at the end of the uh, well, at the end of the day, this is a. A young squad that is very talented. It has a lot of talent there. Uh, it's not the finished article. There is a, I, I think, a better coach could come in, and do a better job working with, uh, with with the squads and turning them into a, a better, stronger team. And I think if you look at the World Cup in terms of what the U.S. did, right? Uh, the first game, a tie against Wales, one-one. Second game was a tie against England, nil-nil. Third game was the 1-0 uh, win against Iran. And then, like you said uh, to Kyle, in that uh, 3-1 loss against uh, Netherlands, I mean, Berhalter was outcoached um, by Louis van Gaal in that game. So then you look at what Greg Berhalter did in terms of just the games that he played against non CONCACAF teams um, as as a head coach. And I, I blame U.S. soccer for this too, because the the opponents that U.S. soccer had – Weren't you mean Germany, Italy, uh, France, or you mean some some major teams? You mean from around the world, Argentina, etc. The games that um, U.S. Soccer scheduled for Beralta were games it, against non-Concacaf teams. Were games against Wales, uh, two games against them, games against Venezuela, Chile, Ecuador. Uh, all all good teams, all good national teams, but not at the level that we should be trying to play against the, the tougher opponents. So when I look at that, his win percentage, I, I have to add a huge asterisk to that and say, yes, within CONCACAF, fantastic for the most part, right? Other than the World Cup qualifying some, some poor results there, but overall, I'm not impressed. I mean, can you think of one game where Greg Berhalter was coach of this US men's national team Uh, In a game against a team not in CONCACAF, where you were like blown away, thinking like, oh my gosh, US just outplayed that opposition. There was a tougher opposition, but we did really, really well. What a great coach he is. I I can't think of any game.
1: No, um, I don't think there is that game. I think the one argument that you could have was the 3-0 win over Morocco which in hindsight you say ooh a 3-0 win over a, a world cup semifinalist that's pretty impressive i mean yeah that was a good result but uh, i think morocco i think it's safe to say overachieved at the 2022 world cup certainly had some great wins you know portugal spain uh, that's that's a great achievement i mean first first african team to reach the semifinals of the of the world cup i mean morocco's not a bad team that's not what i'm trying to say but you talk about the other games that they did play. They played uh, Uruguay in that same international window. They drew against Uruguay, and then just before the World Cup, remember they had some really, really bad displays. I think they played they played Saudi Arabia and drew. Um, I mean, Saudi Arabia, sure, they beat Argentina, but they didn't make it out of the group at the World Cup. Uh, Saudi Arabia was not good. Um, they looked really bad against Japan. And, sure, Japan had a good World Cup as well, but a, a loss against Japan on a on a neutral turf. Just these results against international teams, not from CONCACAF, like you mentioned. Um, I got a little stat right here. He, I think he played 17 games against non-CONCACAF teams, and, um, That led to six wins, seven draws, and four losses. So, you know, not terrible, terrible, but I mean, not what you want to see from a coach that you want to see take this team to the next level. And I saw that a lot of people saying that on Twitter was, you know, you got to understand the U.S.'s place in the world of soccer. And My response to that is, well, why do I have to understand that that's their place if we're trying to improve that status within the world of soccer? Like you say, Chris, we've had this really talented team, the best team the U.S. has ever seen, in my opinion. We need someone that will develop that further, you know, someone that will take this team to that next level that can actually, you know, get us into the, the quarterfinals, maybe the semifinals of the World Cup. And I know that's a lofty dream for some people, but I think this team, you have the people that are playing in Europe at the top level. I mean, Gio Reyna does so well, Borussia Dortmund, for example, and he's still so young. I think this team can go to the next level, It just needs that next manager. And I'm not sure Greg burhalter is the answer just based on his record against other top opposition from around the world. Like you already mentioned, uh, the Netherlands, they got outcoached in that game. England was a, a tough 0-0, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, the Wales game, they when Kiefer Moore came on, I saw Taylor twoman tweeting about it. When Kiefer Moore came on in that game, he, the U.S. just looked scared. and Greg Burhalter looked like he had no answer to a a tall striker that was going to be able to win aerial duels. That's just one example that stands out to me because they should have won that Wales game. You have that You have that Wales win, you have a little more security going into the Iran game to get out of the group. There's just not, like you say, Chris, a standout performance outside of that aforementioned uh, Morocco game, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and, and that one game could be an outlier, right? Uh, and that's the thing, though, too. It's like, so Greg Berhalter is a decent coach. Uh, this team is a good team that has a lot of potential. But... My issue more so is with U.S. soccer, because it seems to be that, that they went with the safest option. Uh, they went with someone they know. It was even previously uh, appointed by his brother. So it's a very uh, lot of nepotism within the system. Um, and they don't seem to be wanting to be aggressive, right? It took six months to make this decision. They could have hired somebody uh, back in January that's more of a world-class cl- manager, somebody that, I don't know, Luis Enrique is one example. There were many coaches that were available in that kind of uh, January w- window, so to speak, uh, that they could have hired. But instead, they went with somebody that's kind of a, you mean, yes, he's an American, which is great, but you mean, went with a very conservative, very complacent uh, appointment and it's something that too I think it's almost like U.S. soccer is uh, comfortable just in terms of CONCACAF they just want to make sure that U.S. soccer is you know the best team in CONCACAF uh, or one of the best teams will qualify from CONCACAF and then anything beyond that is okay well that's that's kind of that's that's not in I mean we we can't achieve um, the bigger better, better things and that's the thing the 2026 World Cup is the best chance for the u.s to probably go as far as possible in in this world cup uh who knows go ahead and win the whole thing with a really good coach that knows how to play the game and that's the thing with greg barhalter is that especially in the world cup too he didn't have a plan b the plan a was the same way that kind of played from from the game against wales uh, all the way through till that loss against Netherlands. Like when, yeah, Keith Moore would come on the field for Wales. Okay, so did the US change change the game at all? Or ch- no, it was Wales that changed the game. Uh, same thing against Netherlands too, in terms of just the, a couple of the goals that they uh, conceded in that game against Netherlands were almost, it was like one in the first half, one in the second half. Both were almost almost the same exact issue. Which was that uh, Netherlands kept on beating U.S. on the flanks. So I look at Gerbrhout and I think, okay, he's a decent coach uh, at a CONCACAF level, but what we need is a better coach. You mean somebody that's that knows how to play the game, ho- how to coach the game, and get more out of his players. And sometimes that's tactical. Sometimes it is playing with a plan B. Uh, sometimes it's playing playing a different way to achieve. The results and and I think with the US hiring of Greg Berhalter, a rehiring of Greg Berhalter, to me it just shows how timid uh, and basically I don't know, I'm trying to think of the best words. Kind of that they're the US soccer could be reaching for something much, much bigger, um, but they seem more comfortable in just doing the same old thing.
1: Yeah, um, I'm trying to think because. You talk about the U.S. US soccer not making an ambitious signing. I know one of the biggest criticisms of Greg Berhalter in his time coaching was his improper use of substitutions, is how I'll put it. I mean, he waits until there's just a handful of minutes left to make changes. If everything's going well, he'll make very conservative changes. And I think what you mentioned, the Netherlands game, when they're getting beat down the wings, Greg Berhalter doesn't respond to that. So... I think what the what U.S. Soccer should have done was at least target someone that has experience in making you know, in-game changes. And I'm not saying that every there's another manager out there that's that's perfect for U.S. Soccer that totally fits the billing because you know that's that's just a subjective opinion on what is going to work for U.S. Soccer. Um, but I think that there are flaws in Greg Berhalter's game. I think he does some things well. I think he does some things not so well. I think there were flaws that needed to be addressed in his just his tactical analysis of the game, um, and I'm not sure just breaking him on and uh, hoping everything goes well over the next three to four years is the steps that U.S. Soccer should have taken. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, is this really the best coach that U.S. Soccer could have hired for this position? I, I mean, it just it does not seem right. I mean, I, I mean, initially, <laughs> even even when he got the job, initially um, there was talk about, was Tata, Tata Martino, was he interviewed, and, and US Soccer was like, yes, we went through a, a, a very rigorous hiring process to ultimately go ahead and hire Greg Berhalter initially. And then afterwards, um, when pressed on that, it said like, oh, okay, well, we did uh, interview uh, Perea. um but then Pereja came out and said like, no, but they, they never interviewed me. So it seemed to be that they made the, the, the initial appointment basically on a very, very limited search, uh, not, not a rigorous search by any means. And it makes you wonder, I mean, why out of the 10 candidates that they did interview, why did they choose Greg Perhalter? What was the reason? And part of me thinks, yes, in terms of, like we just mentioned to something that's safe, something that's very complacent and, I mean, it's somebody we know, we trust, and we think that he, could, he can do a great job and progress, et cetera, within CONCACAF and do great. Um, but part of me wonders, too. I mean, like, how exhaustive was that search? I mean, why did they ultimately choose Greg? And I, the only thing I can think of is is budget. And, and we know that U.S. soccer, all the lawsuits that they've gone through, um you mean over in, with the U S women's national team players, as well as all the other lawsuits There's a long list of lawsuits that they've gone through. They've, they've spent millions and millions on legal fees. And I have to wonder if that was the thing that actually kind of held them back. I said, okay, you know what? Yeah, we can't really afford some of these big star signings. We need to kind of think of someone that's more uh, economical, that's going to work for us. And if that is the the reason that that's a sad state to be in, because I mean, this is one of the biggest countries, one of the richest countries in the world uh, with the greatest potential with the World Cup coming up in 2026 um, with Canada and Mexico. But if you're hiring this coach based on limited budget, that is a, a sad, sad state to be in.
1: I think budget is one thing. Um, I mean, Charlie Davies talked about that last night. You know, in relation to the uh, the women's team, Flacco uh, Antonovsky, how much he's making. I I can't comment on that because well, I, I don't know how much he's well, making. I I th-
0: yeah, he, uh, uh, let me just chime in on that. So I think I, I think Charlie was way off on that one. I, I I don't believe that's true. Where it has to be equal pay for the U.S. men's national team coach as it is for the U.S. women's national team coach. So I think his his kind of Charlie's point, where if we pay. Pep, uh, fifteen million dollars to be the coach. Uh, then we have to pay the, the U.S. Women's National Team coach the same amount of money. I don't believe that's true, and and if it's not true, that's not a good look for CBS Sports to be saying those things uh, on air, making those accusations uh, if not true. But but I'm sorry, I just wanted to chime in on that one.
1: No, for sure. Yeah, that's why I didn't want to comment on it because I don't. I'm not sure if all that was 100% true. Val, again, I don't understand the contracts behind U.S. soccer. What we do know, though, is that a lot of the U.S. players, with the exception of Gio Reyna for obvious reasons – a lot of them were seemed to be very fond of Greg Berhalter. Christian Pulisic was adamant in his support of Greg Berhalter. I mean, when the news first came out back in the, uh, the early part of 2023 over his uh, domestic violence, uh, Christian Pulisic was saying that, yeah, uh, Greg Berhalter deserves another chance. And more recently, Tim Weah was saying that, yeah, I mean, we all like Greg Berhalter. We'd love to see him back uh, back coaching. I think Gio Reyna would have some, some different opinions because they did not uh, – they did not exactly get along uh, to perfection, but I, wa- I got to wonder how much that played a role, how much the player's appreciation, the player's admiration, if you will, of Berhalter and their desire to bring him back as the coach. Did that play a role in uh, Matt Crocker in U.S. soccer picking or at least reselecting Greg Burhalter to return as the head coach of the U.S. men's national team?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point, Kyle, because I think in many ways um, – they don't want to rock the boat, right? The the players want to kind of have somebody that they already know be in a comfort zone, have a coach that knows them, that maybe maybe it's not going to be as tough or is not going to make those tough decisions as somebody from the outside who might come in and say, hey, okay, you guys have got some talent here, but we're going to change things around. Make those tough decisions. I think it's someone like Christian Pulisic, captain, right, of the U.S. men's national team, uh, close relationship with uh, Greg Berhalter. I uh, mean, you know, probably feels very comfortable knowing that he's one. Of, he's going to be the first name on the team sheet, no matter if he plays well or not. And we've seen that mm. even during, during the World Cup qualification. Sometimes, I mean, he just wasn't he wasn't playing well, but he still got got the playing time. A, a quote that came out um, after the U.S. men's national team game against Mexico uh, from Christian Pulisic. And this is what he said after the game, about uh, Greg Berhalter and his uh, reappointment. He says, if you can see, today is a testament of the work that Greg's put into this team. And um, BJ Callahan picked up right where he left off, and it's testament uh, to him and testament to this team the way that we just continued and put on performances like that. So if that's not good enough evidence, then that's all right. People are going to hate no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, a lot of a lot of testaments in there from from uh, <laughs> Christian, but I mean, I mean, yes. So I think it... I mean, so Greg has it seems to be, uh, and the players have kind of created this shell. I mean, where. They were saying, like, hey, everyone wants to hate, uh, is hating on us. Let's show how great we are. And, and they, are, they are a good team. Let's rise above that and show them on, on the field. And that's what it feels like is that Greg, for, I mean, yes, he's not the best coach in the world, but maybe he did create a um, kind of a feel good atmosphere within the US men's national team camp where everyone's kind of fighting for positions. Everyone's feeling comfortable for the most part, except for Gio. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen with that? <laughs> but a very safe environment versus having a coach again from the outside coming into this and breaking that up, right? Breaking up some of the the things that they they normally do and, and changing things. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a fear of change. And Christian feeling very comfortable with Berhalter and you know, sh- putting on great performances like he did against Mexico, but really feeling comfortable playing within, within CONCACAF and when you're playing outside of CONCACAF against teams not in CONCACAF, um, maybe that that's that's the point where, I mean, questions are asked about his playing level. Can he can he do what he does for the U.S. Men's National Team with Chelsea or with other teams in Europe? And for the most part, that's 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 more the reality, right? Is you play home games, you play away games. Sometimes you play against tougher teams. Not every single game is going to be an easy home game. And that's, and that's my big biggest concern. Maybe to, just to end on this, in terms of uh, berharta is all of the praise that's given to him for his ex- excellent win percentage. Most of those games were at home, right? Gold Cup games at home. At home, yes. The World Cup qualifying games, many of them are home, but yes, a bunch of them away. The friendlies uh, against CONCACAF teams, <laughs> almost all at home. Uh, then you do play some some away games, but they, the away games that they're playing are not against really, really tough opposition. So there's that comfort factor, that fear of change. And here we are with Greg Berhalter for probably another four years. All right, Kyle, let's move on. Let's move on and talk. (laughs) It's a fun topic for sure. I, I mean, I hope the U.S. men's national team does well. They're a talented team with a lot of potential. But boy, is there going to be a lot of uh, a lot of focus on Greg Berhalter and how he does with his team, and, and we'll see in the Gold Cup. I mean, the Gold Cup at this point, if they're playing like they did against Mexico, uh, they should comfortably win win the Gold Cup, in my opinion. Uh,
1: yeah, it's one of those uh, it's one of those things, Chris. Where you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of Berhalter coming back, but now that Berhalter is back, you know, I'm I'm 100 on board. I'm I'm going to cheer him. On, I'm going to support him. But uh, yeah. You know, I want to go really quickly, Chris. I want to go back to one thing you said just then about, uh, you know, maybe Christian Pulisic does feel more comfortable with burhalter I think that goes a long way because you look at his performance last night. It's miles apart from what we see when he's playing at Chelsea. And you, I know there's a lot of, you know, hoopla about the lack of dressing room atmosphere at Chelsea with all those new signings. But he just looks devoid of confidence at Stanford Bridge. And then he comes back, plays in the U.S. kit and scores two goals. Like you said, I should have had maybe one or two more. I think that goes a long way. But uh, yeah, yeah. So we're all team. We're all team U.S. <laughs> uh, we're going to cheer him on no matter who's the manager.
0: Yeah, but that's my point, though. Is is What is the reality of a soccer player? A reality of a soccer player is you play home games and you play away games. Mm-hmm. And the home games usually are a little bit easier. You have you a home, home field advantage. Uh, the away games are the tough games and and that's really kind of what makes the player to me and we really haven't seen many away games uh for the U.S. men's national team so so Copa America that might be you mean at that point next summer at that point that's maybe when we can start judging this team and and how Mm -hmm. they're doing under Greg Berhalter all right let's move on to listener mailbag uh we've got some talk about Messi to start off with and this comes from Nick As always, uh, thanks for doing the pod. Um, Really loving the increased frequency of uh, three times a week. My understanding of the Messi deal is that it includes equity in Miami, but also some kind of profit sharing from Apple. This strikes me as anti-competitive and to me makes MLS seem more like a traveling circus that wants to parade Messi around the country rather than a serious sporting competition. If Sky entered into a profit sharing agreement with Haaland, or if Amazon did so with uh, Patrick uh, Mahomes, there would be outrage. Yeah, I haven't seen any coverage of the Messi signing from this angle. It seems like the other 28 clubs are happy to make themselves the Washington Generals to Messi, Miami's Harlem Globetrotters. Am I missing something? So, uh, so yeah, Nick, so we know that uh, in terms of the Apple uh, profit-sharing uh is for international audience and i think that that's that's important too right because if it's if it was uh, globally including the u.s uh then that might be a a major issue but at this point in time i wouldn't be surprised in in terms of mls season pass if the number of international signups uh up up until this point has been extremely low so messi coming into the league um I could see that if I'm a, a an owner of a team in Seattle or l a or washington or wherever that's uh seen a uh, increase in profits because of Messi growing the international audience I'm okay with that I, I don't think that's uh an issue, but the traveling circus part of it um it's going to be a traveling circus um so that's the most one of the most things I, I'm most interested in is to see what the reaction is from the other teams and the other owners and the other players uh, when the circus does happen. All right. And then we've got uh, a bunch of feedback. Actually, we got some really great feedback on the Serie A um, content we talked about last week. And uh, first up is Chris. Hi, guys. When it comes to card idea that CBS would put a few Serie R games on over-the-air CBS next season, I think it is excellent and long overdue. CBS to try to do this at a time when there are no NFL, college football or basketball games or PGA tour events. The three-week period between
1: the Super Bowl and March Madness next year would be a good period to try this, as CBS is only showing college basketball doubleheaders and the PGA start. in the PGA tour starts their season with NBC. Since CBS find this successful and they renew their deal with Serie A beyond
0: next season, there should be no reason why there can't be a few Serie A games on over-the-air CBS next. Per- first season.
1: I also want to give some credit to the to the duo of Nate Bucati and and Tony Miola for doing an excellent job so far on
0: Fox's MLS broadcast this season. I find Miola's analysis insightful, especially when it comes to the mindset of players. All right, Carl, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So imagine this summer, which is very likely, right, is Christian Pulisic moves to AC Milan, and then we've got. Uh, probably <laughs> there's quite a few other players that could potentially move to Serie A. I mean, it could be uh, Balogun could move to one of the top clubs in Italy. But if, if you were to pick a game uh, from Serie A to put on over-the-air CBS next season to show how great Serie A is, uh, which, which two teams would that be for you? I think
1: you would be obligated to have the... "Quote unquote big teams in there. Um, I think a a Milan derby would go a long way, but I think that would be contingent maybe on uh, whether or not some American players go over there. Because you mentioned the likes of Balogun, and Pulisic. Des is already there. I know Tyler Adams was rumored to be going to uh, to Syria. Now that Leeds is relegated, so if I had to pick two teams to put on there, though, I think I would go with. This is again knowing that Weston McCain doesn't play there anymore, I think I would still pick Juventus, and I will probably pair that up against Inter Milan just because uh, last season's Champions League finalist, uh, Scudetto winners uh, two seasons ago now, if my math is right, um, and we could see some American players there. Again, nothing guaranteed yet, but uh, I think those two teams would be... The biggest draw, at least in my eyes, is someone who, admittedly, does not watch too much Serie. A. I do watch, I mean, as much as I can, but it's, it takes a backseat to other leagues in Barcelona, of course. Um, but I think Juventus and Inter Milan would be maybe, in my eyes, the, the the game that I would probably watch most if there was to be a game on uh, the OTA CBS channel. Yeah,
0: no, that's a good pick because I think in many ways, to um, the crowd atmosphere, either at uh, San Sierra for Milan or Inter Milan. Uh, as well as uh, Juventus' stadium would be, would be fantastic. So that would be a great way to showcase two of those games and showcase Serie A on uh, over the air CBS. So, yeah, <laughs> CBS, make it happen. Uh, next up is Buckles. Buckles says um, Serie A on CBS streaming wise is maybe better, uh, but linear TV wise, CBS is worse. Sometimes they don't even show a game and no games on big CBS. ESPN would occasionally throw one on ABC. Shoulder programming got uh, uh, got the edge. Got to uh, give the edge to CBS, ob- obviously. But CBS Sports Network is being used as a tool to get people to watch the games. But I hear whatever say. Um, I hear whatever saying ESPN wasn't great either. JP says um, ESPN usually put the six thirty a.m. Uh, eastern time sunday game on tv hardly ever the primetime time uh, 245 uh, sunday game or anything from the 9 a.m window cbs and paramount plus are doing a infinitely better job with serie a than espn did our uh, next up is we're going to talk about uh, usl and uh, next up is dan let me pull that up here. So Dan says, on the most recent podcast, you had some discussion of USL. I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and love our team. Uh, we go to games in person and watch uh, games on ESPN Plus for the Legion. I'll also watch some, so- some League One uh, from the USL and other USL championship games on ESPN Plus. That's my primary focus for US soccer and don't have uh, MLS season pass. And we follow some EPL games and clubs. My opinion is that USL can make uh, hay along the lines of what you discussed. Their opportunity is to solidify as a league developing talent. Young players that join USL championship will objectively face higher quality play than in Next Pro from MLS. It's an advantage and the biggest threat in the uh, predatory you mentioned having independent clubs join MLS Next Pro. The other thing is that I think that MLS will start to leave behind strong markets such as Louisville, San Antonio, Sacramento, etc. That will help USL maintain a high level quality. Finally, I was surprised in the comments regarding the US, USL games on ESPN2. The games have been advertised during halftime on every ESPN Plus broadcast I've seen since the start of the USL season. Clearly they're they need to do a better job of getting the message out beyond that. Yeah, and Dan, that's a good point too, because like, you know, I mean, if you're watching USL games already on ESPN Plus, um, and then you're seeing the ads at halftime saying, hey, big game coming up next week on ESPN two, well that that's the audience that already is going to be watching those games anyway. So I mean ESPN, as as you mentioned, Dan, needs to do a better job of getting out of that out of that USL bubble to let people know that some of these USL games are going to be on ESPN2, some big games. Um, if the USL bubble, if we just rely on that alone, that's not enough to expand that audience. Last but not least, uh, NPOB1 says, I think the time for the USL to announce a promotion and relegation system by 2025 is now. Their championship division with twenty-two teams is plenty to drop two to four teams and build up USL League One currently at twelve teams. Imagine the investment from USA owners to increase the quality for lower division soccer TV rights. Any thoughts, uh, Kyle, on, on USL and kind of their place in the US soccer system?
1: Yeah. I'm looking at what Dan said, and I want to ask you a question, Chris, because he said that USL should focus on uh, becoming a league-developing talent, which, you know, in some ways it already is. You know, it is the unofficial second, third, fourth tier of the U.S. soccer pyramid, despite there not actually being a pyramid to rise up. And I guess you're comparing the two. The championship would be in England would be the equivalent to the USL championship to the, uh, the Premier League. Do you think USL can be successful as a league developing talent when it comes to turning a profit because if these are players that are you know developing and they're developing with USL Championship clubs eventually moving to major league soccer or across Europe which we saw for the uh, a record fee just this a uh, couple weeks ago with uh, with Joshua uh, Winder I believe uh, from Louisville can that be successful for USL to continue being a, a profitable entity in the soccer scene in the US?
0: I think so, uh, really, because I think it's one of those things like, so we just found out this week that um, in England they've changed the rules there, where previously it was, I mean, in order to play uh, as, I mean, whether it's the Premier League or League One, League Two, Championship, et cetera, uh, you had to get a work permit to go ahead, and, and it's a process. There's a lot of players that would love to play in in England, but due to the work permit rules, um, wouldn't be able to. And, and there's different requirements. Sometimes it's um, in terms of uh, playing for national teams, etc. So now the FA in England has gone ahead and said, "Okay, I believe it's four. T- uh, each team, if they want to, can go ahead and sign four players um, uh, that are." outside of those work permit rules so you don't have to actually abide by those work permit rules for for foreign players so this one I think is is a huge opportunity um, just that alone I mean it, it, there's a, a whole other world outset outside there other than just England but if you look at England I think you could look at some of the teams in the championship uh, or League one that could look to, to USL that say hey you know what we're looking for some good talent. Uh, some young talent and most importantly not just the, the the good talent but at a low price I mean so in terms of then get a good deal on some really talented players and then bring them over to to Europe and then and then grow them from there so yeah no I think uh, same thing for major league soccer too this, there's probably a lot of talent that is uh, undervalued that could go now to to England and other countries usl specifically yeah I, and i think that could be that could be something that they could actually build upon and say you know and yes uh, yes expansion is one thing but we can go ahead and actually become a feeder league for a lot of the teams in europe and carter can talk uh, at this much better than i can but in terms of uh, usl and um transfers going to europe in terms of the solidarity payments uh, to the clubs that these players have come from uh, before they went to USL, that's a much better system and, and the money's pa- passed through the system too. So at the end of the day too, it's actually better for US soccer as a whole. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's this huge opportunity for USL and, and I think, yeah, that's a great point, Kyle, is they could really maximize that. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say Uh we want you to go ahead and de- definitely let us know what opinions you have, what feedback. Uh, what do you think about Greg Berhalter again signed? Uh, it's very likely on Monday uh, it'll be Kyle and Kartik on the podcast. I'm not available Monday, so the two of them I'm sure will be talking about the U.S. men's national team. It'll be great to get uh, Kartik's opinion too, which is going to be very different, I'm sure. Than ours, Kyle, because uh, he definitely, when it comes to U.S. men's national team, he gets really upset about a lot of different things, <laughs> and we will have a diff- different opinion. Um, but it'd be g- great to get his opinion too, but, as well as yours, uh, the listeners, uh, as well as anything else that you'd like to talk to us about. So there's a few different ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, first of all, is the website worldsoccertalk.com. Click on the uh, pod in the uh, navigation bar, and then leave your comments in the comments section. Then there's also email. Uh, You've got uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com. You have voicemail 561-247-4625, Twitter at um, worldsoccertalk, and then facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And then last but not least, uh, YouTube uh, in the comments there, youtube.com slash worldsoccertalk. Kyle <laughs> uh where can listeners uh find you on, on twitter so and also what what are some of the uh any, any articles from this week that stand out in your mind is something you've written or, or are about to write that that you think that might be a good fit for uh some of our listeners to to go ahead and read
1: yeah well this is uh kind of unrelated just because the soccer season in Europe generally come to an end but um did just write a story to put the finishing touches on comparing the whip around shows of, of soccer broadcasts. And while not might be uh, too interesting, I found it really intriguing just because, you know, they're becoming more and more important for, uh, for soccer fans that are watching European soccer. You got goal rush. You have, you have the Golasso show, MLS 360. I mean, these are all important things, especially with MLS 360. Um, You know, all those games on Saturday, uh, with the occasional game on Sunday, but I mean, it's what four and a half hours of coverage. So, I'm always a fan of whip around shows, particularly when I have one team, I don't have a team uh, playing that day. Uh, but yeah, that one I found more interesting than I originally did just because, you know, they, they play a bigger role than I thought they did just because uh, I watch them whenever they're available. But uh, that was, that was just one. Um, yeah. But you can find me on, uh, on Twitter, just at uh, Kyle fans UF. And also, also the website has uh, all my stories and also my, uh, my handles.
0: Okay, cool. And, and yeah, Kyle's doing a great job of uh, writing many, many articles as well as copy editing uh, over there at worldsoccertalk.com as, as our content editor or, or senior content editor. So, So keep up the great work there, Kyle. And then, listeners, uh we'll be back on monday it'll be kyle and Kartik uh talking about the u.s men's national team and who knows between now and then what other wacky stories surreal things will happen of course there's also the concacaf nations league final on sunday there's the uefa nations league final on sunday Uh, that's uh spain against uh, croatia and i'm sure many many other games from around the world so whatever you do uh go ahead and enjoy your football